Well, I'd like to say that the choir gets better looking every Sunday, but... <laughs> I'd have to tell a lie in order to do that. Man, we've had a, a lot of things going on this morning. Betsy, I'm glad you finally get a chance to sit down. And you too, Jonathan. I thought maybe we would mix things up. Now, at this point, uh, I'll have uh, the men to come back and take the bells... get the preschoolers and the children up in the choir and just see what would happen next. <laughs> Thank you, men, for bringing the special music this morning. We're grateful for the ministry of all of our groups, the, the children playing and singing and, uh, and the choir as they uh, lead us in worship every uh, Sunday. And for the men's choir, uh, we had the men's choir on Men's Day not too long ago. And uh, glad to have them again this morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here. Take your Bible and turn, if you would, to First John in chapter number 5. On Wednesday evenings, we've been going through uh, the book of First John. And uh, as you go through the book of First John, you see quite a bit of repetition. The repetition is uh, on purpose. John is writing to uh, people who have been confused by false teachers who've come in and said, actually, we have a superior knowledge than you do. All you know is the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they began to say, you know, really about Jesus, that, that he could not have come in the flesh because all flesh is sinful. And so there's no way that Jesus could have come in the flesh. And they began to give all kinds of false teachings and trying to confuse them. And uh, and John says to them repeatedly that they are to go back to the things that they heard from the beginning, the rudiments of the gospel. And, of course, the gospel is Jesus Christ, his uh, perfect life, his atoning death, his literal bodily resurrection. And all of these things were being misconstrued by the false teachers of that day. And so... He is all the way through the book trying to give them assurance that they really have been born again, that they do know the truth, that their life has been changed, and that they are saved people, that they belong to God. So I want to begin reading uh, this morning from 1 John chapter 5 in verse number 9 and read down through verse number 15. 1 John chapter 5 in uh, verse number 9 through verse number 15. If you have your place, say amen. First John chapter 5, verse number 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not the Son of God hath made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life, and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that he will, we will have the petitions that we desired of him. 
And may God add his blessing to the reading and our understanding, the preaching of the word of God, and in particular, the application of the word of God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we're grateful this morning for the truth of your word. We're thankful this morning for the Son of God, the Word of God, the life that we have, the eternal life that we have in the person of the Son. For He is light and He is life. And we receive Him as Lord and Savior and have that light that lives within us. Even the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us. And we have life, not just the life that we enjoy here uh, in this world, but in the world to come because the life that you give is life to the full, life eternal, life everlasting. And we thank you for Jesus that has made that possible. In this congregation this morning, if there's someone who does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they have not received the gift of everlasting life. They do not have this witness that dwells within them. Then I pray that today you would bring conviction of their lostness to them. That you would convince them that they are separated from you because of their sin. For their iniquities are separated between you and your God. And your sin has hid his face from you that he will not hear. So draw draw them, Lord, to yourself. Convince them that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That he's exactly who he said he was. The Son of God. Come in the flesh. The Word may flesh and dwelt among us. And believe upon him that he died for their sins. For all of our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. I pray that they would look to faith. Look in faith today. To the only one who can give them the gift of everlasting life. And Lord, we thank you for the ministries of this church. We thank you for the worship that we have already enjoyed uh, in this corporate worship service. For the children that have participated and, and all of the others, the men as they have sung. Thank you, Lord, for the leadership that we have in these areas of ministry in our church. And we pray your hand the blessing upon them as they continue their labor uh, in this church uh, on your behalf for the cause of Christ. We pray, Lord, that through uh, the music ministry, through the Bible teaching ministry, yes, through the preaching ministry of this church, that you will draw many to yourself. Lord, that you will give uh, give the church to, that's already saved encouragement. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit and that you would minister to each and every one of us who's in the building today. And I ask, dear God, that uh, that new commitments will be made that will be life-changing and everlasting. And if there are those among us today, Lord, who are saved but uh, struggle with the assurance uh, of their salvation, I pray that this message today, Lord, in particular, will speak to their heart. That your Holy Spirit, uh, if they truly are saved, that Spirit lives within them. And I pray that you would bear witness with them that they are the children of God. And dear Lord, today, if we uh, uh, have not that witness within ourselves, then we would have cause to wonder why we do not have that assurance. Because your word, your word speaks to us and speaks a word of assurance. And so, if we do not have that, then Lord, help us to question why. And then to seek your face and to know uh, your truth and to apply your truth. And whatever needs to happen today, Lord, in the lives of everyone who's in this place... Whatever needs to take place to bring you honor and bring you glory, we surrender ourselves to you. I surrender myself, Lord, uh, again to you, afresh and anew, and ask that you would take my lips and that you would speak your truth to these, your people. 
And dear God, that we might be better for having come this way this day, for we pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The assurance that we have is because of Jesus. The assurance that we have been saved and that we have the gift of everlasting life. The Bible in the passage that we have before us this morning talks about the truth that we have from the witness of men. Uh, the scripture says in the words of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that we gladly receive the witness of men. But compare that, he said, with the witness that God gives. God is omniscient and God knows all things. There's nothing that is withheld from him. He has all knowledge. He knows all truth. And he reveals enough truth for you and for me. Jesus said in John 14, the Father and I are one. And also he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so the witness of men we gladly receive, but the witness of God is much greater than the witness of a man. And uh, it can be safely said today that we can trust everything that he says to, to you and to me. We need not doubt what he says. We can trust in the motives that he that he has behind of everything that he says to you and to me. We know that Romans 8, 28 uh, is one of our favorite verses. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And so we receive the witness of him. We know we can trust what he says to our heart. And someone else may not know the depths of your heart, but I'm telling you, God does and you do. And there is this uh, relationship between the soul and the spirit of man and the one who saved us, the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of God that lives within us. And so there's truth from the witness of men, but the truth and the witness of God is so much greater. And when you talk about the truth from the witness of the Father, first of all, the Father testifies of who Jesus is. In uh, John, 1 John chapter 5 and verses 5 and 6, if you'll look back at previous verses, the Scripture says in verse 5, Who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. God himself, the Father himself, gives us witness as to who Jesus is. He said, first of all, that he came by water. Now, sometimes people would think that that would mean, you know, like a water birth or a physical birth. But actually, speaking here of the baptism of Jesus, the witness of the Father took place at the baptism of Jesus. You remember that Jesus is there in the Jordan River and uh, John is going to baptize him. And by the way, John argued with him a little bit about that. He said, I need for you to baptize me. You want me to baptize you? And he said, uh, it must be done that the scripture be fulfilled, that the law be fulfilled. And so, uh, so John said, well, I'll do that then. And so he takes him down into the water, buries Jesus as a picture of uh, the putting away of sin and the old way of life and raised him up. And of course, he didn't need any sin forgiven. He never has sinned, but it was a picture for you and a picture for me. And the witness that the Father gives is that the Son of God, first of all, is present, and he's the one who's being water baptized. And so you have God the Son in the water, 
And then the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And so now you have the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Son of God is there. The Spirit of God is there. And then a voice from heaven was heard saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's not just the witness of men that Jesus is who he says he is, but the witness of the Father and those that were there heard the voice saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And seeing the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove, and he was anointed, he said of himself, to preach the gospel, preach uh, according from that old Testament text in Isaiah. And so by water, it refers to his baptism in the river Jordan and the father's witness by the way of an audible voice. Uh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if you're trying to take notes on this, Matthew chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17, where that incident is recorded in Matthew's gospel. And he said that came not only by water, but it came also by blood. And the blood represents the crucifixion of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And the things that took place uh, around the crucifixion in which the Father testified, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So the blood is a reference to uh, the Father giving uh, credence to Jesus dying on the cross where Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse number 28, as he's praying to the Father, and he said, I have glorified my name and will glorify it again. When Jesus was crucified, you remember that there were several miraculous things that took place in which God the Father said, this is my beloved Son. This is the Savior of the world. You remember when Jesus died that there was a miraculous darkness that took place on the face of the earth in the middle of the day, beginning at 12 noon and then lasting until 3 in the afternoon. Three hours of total supernatural darkness. God the Father saying, this is my Son. This is the Savior of the world. And then there was a great earthquake that took place at that time. It's amazing what God can do to get our attention, isn't it? He actually shook the earth whenever Jesus was crucified, when he was dividing time. And that's the way we divide time to this day, before Christ and, and uh, after Christ. And, and uh, he's there and dividing time. And the, God the Father takes the earth and just shakes the earth as though he's saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is the Savior of the world. And John is reminding his followers of this, that you are following the true God who was testified of by the Father himself in three hours of darkness at his death and the shaking of the earth. But that was not the only thing that took place. You remember that in the temple, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was a holy place. And then there was the holy of holies. And between the holy place and the holy of holies, there was a very thick veil that had been woven, just as God had given uh, the instructions to Moses that had been made just in that way. Some Bible scholars uh, believe that that veil, with all the intricate detail that's given of the weaving of that, separating the holy from the holy of holies, that it was approximately four to six inches thick. And not only did there be darkness, was there darkness for three hours, not only did he shake the earth with an earthquake and said, sit sit up and take notice, Uh, the, the, the Savior of the world is dying on the cross. But in that temple... 
the Bible records that that veil was torn, and it was torn from the top to the bottom. It was the access to the Holy of Holies. It was the access to the very presence of God. And in the tearing of that veil from the top to the bottom, proving that no man could do that, it was giving us entrance into a presence with God and knowing Him personally. Not having to go through a priest, but going directly to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He is the Savior of the world. And the Father Himself has testified of His Son. But not only by the water and by, and by the blood, but by the Spirit. By the Spirit is a reference to the fact that the Spirit is the truth of God. In verse number 6 it says, And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Paul spoke of that same subject in Romans chapter 8, in verse number 16, when he said, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You can understand now how John is trying to give assurance to these who have been uh, misled and there are question marks in their mind. He said, the, you know, the witness of man is one thing, but the witness of God is something altogether di different. And he bore record, he bore witness, this is my son, said so with his own voice, in whom I am well pleased. And then... Uh, not only at his uh, birth, at, at, at his uh, baptism, but also at his crucifixion where he died for your sins and died for my sins. So there's truth from the witness of men and there's truth from the witness of God the Father. And then thirdly, there's truth from the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, John is reminding them as I read and remind you and me this morning of what uh, is the absolute truth that every believer has the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God indwells every true believer. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse, nine, verse number 9 that he who has not the Spirit of God is none of his that does not belong to the Father. Uh, the Spirit of God takes up residence in the life of every true believer. In verse number 10, this is the witness that he's talking about. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. That the Spirit of God actually indwells him. He who, believe, he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God has the witness in himself. And it's only the one who believes that has that witness. It's only the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, who has. It believes in the Son of God. He has this witness within himself. Uh, take your Bible, if you would, for a moment. Turn back to John chapter number 16. The Gospel of John. Uh, John in chapter number 16, and let's read uh, uh, a few verses together. John chapter number 16, uh, beginning with verse number 7. John 16 and verse number 7, down through verse number 14. John 16, 7. You have it? Say amen. amen. And the Scripture says, uh, same author, of course, human author, same Holy Spirit. Uh, and in verse number 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. 
Nevertheless, when he, that is the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatever you shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. It's always the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God to lift up Jesus Christ. It's the reason that I warn people about excessive demonstrations of things in in, uh, in revival services and in worship services where uh, people uh, do things that sometimes are not really according to the Word of God. And uh, as they use these things in their worship services, it seems as though that the Spirit of God is manifesting Himself and elevating Himself and glorifying Himself But the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believers, that he will testify of Jesus, he will lift up Jesus, and that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And so every single one who is saved has this uh, testimony within himself because they have the Spirit of God within themselves. And this is the witness. And this is the record. This is what the Spirit of God will testify of in verse number 11. That God had given to us eternal life and that this life is in His Son. These are words that were very comforting and assuring to the church to to whom uh, John was writing. And should be very comforting to you and to me today. Because we're not seeking some external blessing and some second blessing and some other thing that might be uh, prevalent in the day in which we live. John said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that if you are saved, that you have the Spirit of God that lives within you, and the Spirit of God that lives within you will not lift up himself nor glorify himself, but will magnify Jesus, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and that's the gift that, that has been given to every single believer. And the Bible says that uh, that uh, this, this life is in His Son. He has given unto us eternal life. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, that appears in the text over and over again. Just like in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes Him should not perish, but have what is what does it say? Everlasting life. Yeah, if the Lord gives eternal life, everlasting life, and takes it away from you, then that's not everlasting life. That's not eternal life at all. And that's the text, and that's the phraseology that's used throughout the Word of God. You can have confidence that if you have Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus in your heart, you you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, that you have been saved. And uh, you're in the ark of safety, as I like to say sometimes, just like uh, in the Old Testament day when Noah built the ark. And he told uh, Noah and Mrs. Noah to come in and Ham, Shem, and Japheth and their wives. And the eight of them were on the inside. And uh, that water, as it, as it rained and poured and the storm got worse and worse, that ark was shaking all around and... No telling, I may even got up on his side from time to time, but one thing never happened. They never fell out of that ark. They were always in the safety of the ark. Why? Because God himself had said he's going to pitch it on the inside and pitch it on the outside. You're going to seal that ark. 
and the waters of judgment are not going to come in. You're going to be safe and sealed and secure. That's what John is trying to say. Uh, You have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the seal of God, those words from the Old Testament passage of Noah's day when they pitched it within and without. It meant a sealing. And what does the book of Ephesians say to you and me in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 4? That we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you're saved, you're given the Holy Spirit of God. You genuinely are saved and what God has given to you. No man can take away. The devil cannot take it away. And even if you wanted to take it away yourself, if you have been born again, then you are safe and secure and sealed. It does not mean that everybody who says that they're saved is saved, you understand. But everybody who has been saved always will be saved. You say, that's quite a judgment for you to make, to say that not everyone says that they've been saved, is really saved. I didn't make that judgment. Jesus made that judgment. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21. He said, Not everyone that crieth unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many shall say in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Lord, have we not cast out demons in thy name? Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And Jesus said, I will say to them in that day, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Not that you were saved and you were lost and saved you were lost and saved that you were lost and then when you die, you're lost. He said, I never knew you. And when he does know you and you know him, you know, it's even more important for him to know us than for us to know him. When he knows you, when he writes your name down in the Lamb's book of life, he saves you by the blood of Jesus Christ and seals you with the Holy Spirit of God. Then you have the gift of everlasting life that no man, no person can possibly take away. And uh, God is the one who has made it all possible. And it was in his Son. Read that phrase again in verse number 11. That God hath given to us eternal life and that this life is in his Son. Jesus Christ is the gospel message. The perfect life that he lived. The virgin birth that he experienced from the very beginning. How do you explain the virgin birth? Uh, Well, give me 9,000 years and I won't be able to explain the virgin birth other than what the scripture says. But the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to, you're going to bear a son. She said, I don't know how that's going to happen because I've not known a man. And he said, well, with men, that would be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And from the very inception of his birth, it was a holy thing. It was the Holy Spirit of God uh, by which uh, Mary, the virgin, conceived. And so Jesus is the gospel message. His virgin birth proves his deity. His sinless life proves his purity. His substitutionary death proves that you and I can be saved because he died in our stead. He died in our place. He died a death that you and I could not die and yet have everlasting life. And his bodily resurrection, the gospel, is in Jesus. His virgin birth, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, and his bodily resurrection. And, of course, that means that you and I have victory because Jesus had victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Literally raised himself from the dead. He said, I'll do the same for you. One of these days. You say, well, I don't believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
If you do not believe this morning that Jesus could raise himself from the dead, then I ask you the question this morning, what makes you think that Jesus can raise you from the dead if he can't raise himself from the dead? He had victory over it all, and that victory is yours, and that victory is mine, because the gospel is wrapped up in his Son, who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the conclusion when he comes to verse number 12. He said, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You say, well, but, 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 but what about the other religions in the world? Yeah, what about the other religions of the world? What does the Scripture say? The one who has the Son of God has life. And he who does not have the Son of God hath not life. And so you may be Hindu and have millions of gods. You may be Muslim and follow the teaching of Muhammad. You may be uh, a follower of Confucius, and that's more like confusion than Confucius. But it, there is no other faith in the world that presents Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And he who hath not the Son hath not life. It's exactly what Jesus said of himself. No one comes unto the Father but by me. In the last part of verse number 6 in John Chapter number 14. And then there's the truth from the witness of the Word of God. That's uh, the last verse, really, that I want to deal with, and that's verse number 13. I think it's one of the best verses in all the Bible, speaking to the the, uh, eternal security of the believer. The witness uh, of the Word of God itself, John the Apostle wrote in verse number 13, those words of comfort and those words of assurance to that church and to you and to me today. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Lord, uh, that, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. To whom is it addressed? It is addressed to, first of all, people... Um, who are believers all the way through First John. We've talked about this on Wednesday nights a lot. He addresses uh, this congregation as my little children. My little children. My little children can't be anyone except followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he writes this letter, he's writing to people who are saved. Why would he say to unsaved people that, you know, you are saved? No, he's writing to the church, and he says to the church, I've written these things to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that's the purpose. The people to whom he writes is the church, the believers, my little children. And the purpose for which he has written this is that you may know that you have eternal life. I know that a lot of people, particularly Baptist people in the southeastern United States, still struggle with the eternal security of the believer. I ask you, what part of verse number 13 do you not understand? These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I like the passage in John chapter 10. Begin with about verse number 20, and he goes on down, and he said, uh, uh, I I know my sheep, they hear my voice, they know me, they follow me. He said, uh, and uh, they shall never perish, he said. They shall never perish. That sounds strong enough, I guess, if you... 
say it in the English language, and anyone has ears to hear. They shall never perish. It's not nearly as strong as it is in the original language because there are two words for the negative in the in the Greek language. One is ooh, and one is may. And depending on the context, sometimes they'll use ooh, meaning not or no, or may. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the English language, now you and I know uh, who've had as much as uh, three years of grammar uh, in the English class, we know we're not supposed to use a double negative in a sentence, right? Now, I would not never do nothing like that, you understand, but... We know it's a no-no in the English language to use negatives back-to-back uh, back like that. But you see, in the Greek, it's just the opposite of that. When you use uh, two negatives rather than one, it makes it emphatic. It emphasizes what he's saying. They shall never perish. You might understand what I'm saying. They shall, ooh, may. They shall never, 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 never. Perish. I ask you, what part of that do you not understand? If you have been saved, you are saved. That means you ought to live like you're saved. <laughs> he said, I give unto them eternal life. And this life is in the Son. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things have I written to you. That believe on the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have everlasting life. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, our musicians are going to come and take their place. In a few moments, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation, the old rugged cross. It says you have that witness within yourself. Yes, we know what the Bible says. We know what the witness of the Father was. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He shook the ground. He turned the sky dark. And then he ripped the veil from top to bottom and gives us access to a holy God through our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question this morning is, do you have this witness within yourself? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God within you that has been saying, Amen? Amen. That's right. That's the truth. Amen. That's right. That's the truth. Or do you have Jesus instead in your mind, but not in your heart? Do you know about him intellectually, but do not know him experientially? Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that the Holy Spirit of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is given to every true believer who is our comforter, who is our great teacher, and He's the one who brings conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you have that witness within yourself? If not this morning, you should come and give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I'm already a church member. That doesn't make a hill of beans. The Lord will not take church members to heaven to be with him. He will trust and take those who have followed him, called upon him for salvation. He doesn't save church members. He saves believers. 
So now let's stand in an attitude of prayer with our eyes closed. Let's stand, if you would, at this time. In a moment, we'll sing, but let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the assurance that you give to us when we belong to you. We thank you for the conviction that comes when uh, things are not settled, things are not right. Some may be here in this service today not really prepared to meet God if they were uh, to be called uh, this very moment to stand before you. And we understand, Father, it's the truth that any of us could face you in eternity at any given moment. For we know not what tomorrow may hold, nor even the next minute or the next second. And so I pray that when we leave from this place today, that every person who's under the sound of my voice will know in their heart of hearts that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And I pray that if any have any question about that today, they will come. And then others may have decisions that they need to make. Maybe there's someone that they're praying for and they would like to come today and just kneel in an altar and pray for their loved one or their friend or the co-worker or whatever it might be. There may be someone who's been saved, never has been baptized according to the Scriptures, have never been immersed, never has become a member of the church. You're calling upon them today to uh, completely identify with Jesus and the, His body, the church. Others may have decisions that they're struggling with today in their own spirit. Uh, Lord, I ask that today you administer to every one of us as we have need in these moments that we spend together in this time of invitation. We'll give you praise, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Our hymn is number 186, The Old Rugged Cross. You're invited to come. Uh, We've had ample opportunity to respond to what the Spirit of God has said to us. And I know that decisions are oftentimes made right where we stand. I understand that. It's been a joy to be with you these days, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you again on Easter Sunday, bright and early. It's uh, 8 o'clock. Is that right, Ed? 8.30? Yeah. We want to see him at the, at the service, don't we? Yeah. Service is at 8 o'clock. I don't know, we can't call that a sunrise service, but we'll call it a delayed sunrise service, all right? But... Anyway, I'll look forward to seeing you then, be praying for you uh, in these days. I'll be here on Wednesday night, look forward to seeing our Wednesday night Bible crowd, and so I'm uh, looking for you then. And then I'll be with you that whole week, the Easter Easter week, not just that Sunday morning, but that Wednesday night as well. And I'll try to come up with something to say when I get here on that Wednesday night, because I think we're going to finish up First John this coming, uh, this coming Wednesday night. But uh, the Lord will lead, I'm sure. So thank you for coming and being with a wonderful crowd this morning. We're going to bow together and ask God's blessing upon the, the memory of the words that have been said this morning and the worship that we've experienced. Thank God for our little boys and girls. Amen. And for their moms and dads for getting them to practice and getting them here this morning. And uh, it always helps the music director, I'll tell you that, to see them show up. Amen. <laughs> so thank you for your dedication. And our prayers are with you. Let's bow together. Father, we pray, Lord, for Kashai Church. We thank you, Lord, for its inception so many centuries ago, for every soul that's been saved, for every preacher that's been called, for every missionary that's been sent out, for every soul that's been saved since 1770. We're grateful, Lord, for everything that's happened in the past, and we're grateful, Lord, for what you're doing now. 
And we pray, Lord, for even greater things and greater uh, heights uh, in the life of this church. We know, Lord, that you have a man that you have selected for pastor this church. And I pray as the committee begins their work and as the, that person is out there, that you'll connect them and that uh, a ministry that has longevity and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God, that you'll make a marriage of a pastor and a church. And, God, that you will do things to bring yourself praise and glory for you alone are worthy of it all. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you give to us and uh, the satisfaction that you give us in knowing Jesus and the security that we have as we have given our life to him. He has given himself to us, and we're grateful, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross of Calvary that we might have the gift of everlasting life. Help us, Lord, to live like your children. Help us, Lord, to bear witness in our life and to draw others to Christ. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.